Hey everybody, welcome to episode 293 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung, coming to you from a beautiful day in Austin, Texas. And I'm excited about my topic today because I think it might help you unlock some challenges that you might be having with injuries, plateaus. And so what we're going to be talking about is how do you measure success as a runner? And I had this epiphany last week, this coaching epiphany that that in general, our natural instincts are to measure our success in entirely the wrong ways. And that can lead to bad behavior that is suboptimal for training and that often leads to injuries or performance plateaus and things like that. So I want to reframe the discussion about how we measure success as runners. And I'm going to give you seven different ways to think about it that are different than you how you might be thinking about it. So we'll get to that in just a second. Before we do, just wanted to quickly thank my two partners for this episode, Zencaster and Athletic Greens. They've been supporting me now for a long time in one way or another. Been working with Athletic Greens for a couple of months and Zencaster has been a service I've used for over five years now. So just wanted to thank them for supporting this episode. And quickly, before we jump in, talk about my partnership with Zencaster. Again, they are the service that I use to record remote episodes that help me essentially ensure high quality audio and video if you want it over bandwidth so you don't have those bandwidth issues that might happen on other platforms. You can use their service. I've got a code for you there. You can also advertise with content creators that use their platform. So a couple of different ways to work with Zencaster. The first, if you go to zen.ai forward slash rogue30 and use the code code rogue30 to sign up for the service, if you're a content creator, then you'll get 30% off your first three months with Zencaster. Well worth it. Again, I've been using them for over five years now. Or if you'd like to tell your brand story via content creators who use Zencaster as a platform like this show, then you can go to zen.ai forward slash running rogue Enter your contact information there and they'll reach out to you about potentially sponsoring shows like mine to share your story via content creators that align with your brand. So that's a couple of different ways you can work with Zencaster. So with that, I'm going to jump right in today. I don't have anything else by way of intro, so let's just jump right in. Like I said, I've got seven different variables for you to be thinking about in terms of how you will reframe your thoughts around measuring success. I'm going to paint the two sides. So how we might think about it and how we might think about it in a way that isn't constructive to framing the other side, which is how to shift that into a thought process that is more constructive. So here we go. Seven things. Number one, most people think about measuring success in terms of how fast did I run? How fast did I run? And I'm not talking about races here. I'm talking about long runs, recovery runs, and workouts. There is a definite ingrained mentality in us, and I understand it because it would seem natural that the faster you run, the faster you can be on race day. But as I've talked about many, many episodes, that's not how it works. Just like I mentioned on my last episode, you have to polarize your training more than that. And a part of that shift is also changing how you measure success in training on those runs. And instead of asking yourself, how fast did I run those runs and trying to somehow measure your runs based on their relative speed relative to each other, 
then rather I would want you to flip that and instead ask yourself, how slow did I run? Or in the case of workouts, how on target did I run? So instead of of asking yourself, how fast did I run and measuring yourself on going faster, I want you to measure yourself occasionally on going slower. And in workouts, I want you to measure yourself on, was I on target or not? Those are two subtle shifts that will make a massive difference in both your ability to actually train in the right zones and ultimately get faster, but also in your ability to train consistently and develop your body of work over time. So what does that mean? What does that look like? And I want to start by using the example of the recovery run. One of the challenges that I've given to some athletes that I coach recently is instead of asking themselves, how fast should I, how fast should I run my recovery run? Instead, I challenge them to flip that question and ask themselves, how slow can they run their recovery run? Because truly, on a recovery run day, from my perspective, you can't go too slow. You can't go, you can't go too slow if you're running. If you're moving at any, sp- any speed beyond a walk, you can't go too slow. And even sometimes, by the way, walking is important too or necessary on recovery days as well. But the most important variable on a recovery day is to create movement, which creates blood flow, which promotes healing. So motion is lotion, as we've talked about many times. And so instead of asking yourself, how fast should I run my recovery run? The question should be, how slow can I teach myself to comfortably run my recovery runs so that I move as gently as possible, creating as little impact and stress on my body as possible while simultaneously achieving the purpose of the day, which is generating blood flow, which promotes healing. And so in recent months, I've challenged certain runners to run their recovery runs in a certain time. So for example, if you have a four mile recovery run, pick a pace that's slower than you ever run for four miles and try to hit it. Might be 40 minutes, might be 44 minutes, might be 36 minutes. I don't know. All of that, of course, is relative depending on the paces you use for your other training. But I want you to challenge yourself. See how slow you can actually run those runs. Slow them down even further. One of the biggest lessons for me in this, I think I've told this story before on the podcast for those longtime listeners, is when my wife was pregnant with our first and she was running through a pregnancy. She actually was able to run all the way until about a week to go. And I committed during that cycle with her to run every single recovery run with her. And so that started out at a certain level. And obviously as her body evolved throughout the, the pregnancy, we, we got slower and slower and, and that was okay. That was a part of it. It was whatever felt good for her. And I would stick with her and stay with her on pace on whatever pace she was setting. And through that whole cycle, I was also training for a marathon at the time. I did all my recovery runs with her at her pace. So dramatically slowed down relative to what I was used to. And I was already someone who understood at that point the need to go slow on my recovery runs. But that cycle with her taught me that I could go even slower because ultimately I ended up getting a PR in that cycle, had a great race because I was able to recover better, put more into my workouts because I was more recovered and then ultimately my results still came even though my recovery runs were were slower than they'd ever been. And so I challenge you 
to think about when you're measuring pace in training, not to think about how fast did I do this run or how fast did I do that run, but rather to think about how slow can I. Because when you learn to run easy at paces that are slower and that are slow enough to actually be getting proper recovery, then ultimately that will only make you more efficient when you go back to faster paces while simultaneously achieving the purpose for those recovery runs and, of course, keeping you safe from injury. So ask yourself not how fast can I run these runs, but rather how slow can I teach myself to run them. That will dramatically shift the equation in terms of how you think about success, but also it will point you in a better direction in terms of actually achieving what you want. So that's recovery runs as as an example. Long runs is another example. Oftentimes people tell me after long runs, oh, I was able to run this mileage in this pace. And they give me oftentimes really specific pace numbers. And they might compare them to how fast they ran that same distance another time during the training cycle as if going faster is better. And the truth is, it's just not necessarily. Because again, when we're trying to do our long runs, and this assumes that we're talking about long runs where we're supposed to be running easy and where pace work is not involved, then you should be in an easy conversational pace to cover the distance you're trying to cover. The actual pace that you run doesn't matter as long as it's easy enough, as long as the effort is right and you're in that easy aerobic development zone. Where you fall within that zone doesn't matter. And certainly if you start to push the edge of that zone and flip over into a different zone, then we have a a challenge where you can actually be counterproductive going too fast on those days. So, and by the way, As the season evolves, you're going to feel good on some days, bad on others. You're going to have good weather on some days, bad on others. And so there's going to be some natural variation in pace that are completely independent at the same effort of the outcome you're trying to achieve. So one run on a hot day might be 30 seconds per mile slower than another run on a cool day. And yet, if the effort's right, if it's that easy conversational pace and effort, then the result on those two days could be equivalent even if the pace was different. So one isn't better than the other. In fact, going too fast on that hot day, running the same pace as on that cool day, might actually be worse. So again, we are constantly measuring ourselves based on how fast we can go and instead should be asking ourselves, how easy can I make it? How slow can I do my recovery runs? And in the case of workouts, it's not better to go faster than the prescribed paces that might be in the training schedule you're using or in the instructions from your coach. Rather, those paces were given for a specific reason to put you in a specific physiological development zone. And if you go outside of that, for whatever reason, then you could be actually compromising the purpose of that workout by going faster. And look, I'm not talking about perfection here. We'll talk in a minute about measuring yourself versus perfect. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm, talking, I'm not talking about honest mistakes where you accidentally hit a rep too fast and you adjust and you pull back. I'm talking about the overarching mentality that if we always go faster, then it's better. That's what I'm talking about that often exists. 
And so instead of measuring your workouts based on, did I go faster than the target paces I was provided? Measure yourself on, did I hit them? Did I nail it? And even if I didn't nail it, did I trend in the right direction? Did I adjust appropriately? If I was too fast at the first rep, did I adjust backwards? Did I manage the workout well throughout as best I could as I learned and got more information? Or was I just hammering for the sake of hammering because my ego needed it? So again, don't measure yourself in training based on how fast you can go. Measure yourself on how easy you can make it, how slow you can go on your recovery days, and how on target you can be on those workouts. That's where success lies, not in asking ourselves how fast. Because if you constantly are pressing the edge on speed, again, you'll end up injured. You'll end up suboptimizing your training and hitting a performance plateau. Or perhaps you'll end up with a more chronic overtraining or burnout situation. And that's just not sustainable. So flip the script. And if you want to practice this in one simple way this next week, pick a recovery run and make it your mission to run that by time in a pace that is slower than you've ever run comfortably. Settle in. Do it a couple of times. Work at it. Practice taking it that easy because it is something you have to practice and get better at. It'll feel awkward. It'll feel uncomfortable at first. And you'll say, I can't go this slow. I've heard all those things, but I promise you, if I can do it, you can do it. You can teach yourself to do it, but you have to commit to it. And the way to commit to it is by changing how you think about success, measuring yourself in a different way. So that's point number one here. Don't ask yourself how fast. Ask yourself how slow, how easy, how on target I can be. Number two, and this gets to the point of measuring ourselves by perfection. Instead of measuring ourselves by nailing every single run, measuring ourselves by consistently getting 90 to 95% of the work done. I like to say there's no such thing as a perfect cycle. I stand by that statement. There's no such thing as a perfect cycle in a world where you're busy, you have things, you're balancing all of life as well as trying to train at a high level. There's no such thing as a perfect cycle. Either you're going to miss a run or have to modify a run, or you're going to have a little niggle that pops up that you need to justifiably adjust your training to account for so that you can work through it. There's no such thing as a perfect cycle. So expecting and measuring yourself based on perfection And being so focused on that, that you're constantly beating yourself up over the run that you missed or had to adjust versus giving yourself props for making those adjustments. That's the difference I'm talking about. And I'll give you an example. This week, Monday night, my daughter got sick. She was throwing up sadly. It was terrible for her. She's okay now. She's throwing up in the middle of the night from about 1.30 1.30 in the morning till about 4 in the morning, I was up dealing with that than just being with her while she wasn't feeling good. So that was three hours of sleep lost in what became a terrible night's sleep, obviously. I usually go for my runs and workouts at 5.30 a.m. on Tuesday. So here I am at 4 a.m. on Monday, up with my daughter, Monday night, Tuesday morning, now Tuesday morning, up with my daughter thinking, Yeah, I could probably stay up and go do this, 
or I could go back to sleep and get as much sleep as I can to try to start to bounce back and recover from this and make adjustments. Ultimately, I went back to sleep, got as much sleep as I could, spent the rest of the week, by the way, catching up on that sleep and making adjustments actually each day, including missing my Thursday run with the group so that I could get more sleep. But I had to make adjustments. And instead of thinking about that in the sense of, oh man, Chris, you're terrible. That wasn't a perfect week. You did not get what you had hoped to get this week. Instead of thinking about those adjustments as a negative, that's life. I would actually submit that you should think about making those adjustments as a positive. You get points for that. You get points for making those adjustments when life gets in the way. Because if I had done the runs anyway, as prescribed, then I would have buried myself. I would have dug a hole for myself that I may or may not have been able to dig out of that would potentially compromise future weeks in my training versus making this week a one-week blip where I made adjustments, bounced back from those adjustments, and then am able to continue on with my cycle. So again, instead of thinking about the 5% or sometimes 10% of runs that you have to adjust because of life, instead of thinking of that as a negative, flip it and think of that as a positive because again, there's no such thing as a perfect cycle. It's just a question of how well can you manage it? And we'll talk about this in a minute, but it's not about the one run. It's about the body of work that you can put together over a season and then over a period of years. It, that's what matters. And if you don't make these adjustments when life gets in the way, when sleep is compromised, when stress is high, when you can't get in the full run, but you're able to just get in a, a partial run instead of five mile recovery when you get in three, whatever it may be, whenever you make those adjustments because life, instead of beating yourself up for that, pat yourself on the back. That's, that's what victory looks like because that's what makes running not only sustainable within the near-term cycle, but also ultimately sustainable over the long haul. And believe me, as I said, we'll talk about it in a second, but it's the long haul that matters. It's the body of work that actually will determine whether or not you can get to your full potential. So instead of measuring yourself based on per- perfection and whether or not I hit every single run in a cycle, understand that missing some whether that be a part of a run or an entire run here and there, missing some is a part of it. And sure, you don't want that to become a habit outside of life circumstances. But when life gets in the way, you got to let it because that's going to allow you to create sustainability that will keep you trending in the right direction versus cause you to dig a short-term hole that you may struggle to get out of. So make those adjustments when needed. Something is always better than nothing. In my case, Instead of doing that Tuesday run with the group on the morning when I didn't get sleep that night, I slept in a little bit more, got what I could, went for a shorter run by myself later in the day during my son's soccer practice. So I just kind of adapted and adjusted. And fortunately, the weather wasn't too hot, so that cooperated. So I was able to get 80% in that day of what I, what I would have gotten in, but do it in a way that allowed me to recover a little bit of my sleep and also not bury myself. And then a couple of days later, I missed a run. I missed my Thursday run and to sleep instead as a part of that ongoing need to build back to full strength after a tough night. 
So those adjustments, again, weren't bad. Those were actually good adjustments. I made the right calls and I trusted my intuition on those things. And that's going to allow sustainability beyond this week that could have been compromised had I not made those adjustments. So again, number two here is don't measure yourself against perfection. Measure yourself against that consistent work at 90 to 90 to 95% of what you want because that's what's ultimately going to get you there once you can string together that kind of track record for longer periods of time, recognizing that we're all going to have those blips here and there. That's number three. Two. Number three, you want to measure yourself not by perfect workouts, but by what you learned in those workouts. You want to measure yourself not by perfect workouts, but by what you learned in those workouts. It's funny, when we get to this stage in marathon and half marathon training in the fall, I'll have a lot of people that are doing big workouts, big long run workouts. And typically we'll do three of those per cycle in each of my marathon and half marathon workouts. And these are pace work long runs where they're actually doing typically race pace work, sometimes other paces as well, built into the long run so that they can practice and simulate race day and and simulate running race pace on tired legs inside the long run. And so we'll get about three of these per cycle. Often for the half marathon, the biggest one will come two weeks out from race day and for the marathoners, three weeks out, sometimes four, depending on how the cycle shakes out. That's the last big effort. It's kind of the barometer by which everybody tends to measure success and their preparedness for race day is that last big long run workout in my world. And I like people to report back on how it went. And sometimes, honestly, it doesn't go that great. And to be honest, as a coach, I prefer when it doesn't. I prefer when it doesn't go perfectly. I get nervous, honestly, when it goes perfectly. Because I think perfect workouts often lead to overconfidence or perhaps not necessarily being prepared for all the things that can go wrong in those are in those longer races. So I like it when these workouts don't go well, when you have to fight, when it's a struggle at the end, when maybe you don't nail the paces and you have to learn from that. And so to me in training, it's less about, did I nail the workout perfectly? And it's more about, did I learn from it? What did I learn? Did I learn how to suffer better? Did I learn how to manage my efforts and pace better? Did I learn how to progress better through the workout instead of starting too fast and and digging a hole for myself early? What did I learn? And if you're learning, then that's progress. Now, that may come with a perfect workout. Sometimes that does happen. I'm not saying it doesn't. But to expect that every time and or to beat yourself up if you don't hit perfect workouts is the wrong mentality. The question is more, what did I learn and not? Was it perfect or not? And if you learn, and by the way, you can learn something from any workout regardless of how it went, then you can claim success. And in training, honestly, you want it to be a challenge. You want to have those good days and bad days. Obviously, if you're stringing together all bad days, that's a different question altogether. But if you're having those occasional bad days or the workout didn't go perfectly or you didn't nail the paces, that's okay. That's a part of the process. What did you learn that you can then take forward to the next workout and perhaps to race day? 
there was a actually a tweet from Des. It's almost like she was reading my mind that this was going to be my topic for today. But I saw this tweet from her. She said, wanted to smash the lag big, the last big session before the New York Marathon. Didn't exactly happen. In hindsight, I was hoping for a confidence boost, but the larger body of work last 10 weeks has been solid. Note to self, sessions are for building fitness. Races are for showing fitness. So she kind of underscores the same point that it's not about how every session goes. You don't need perfect sessions, training sessions, in order to have good results on race day. In fact, some of my best races have come after the most challenging series of final workouts that I've ever had, where maybe the perfection was far from there, but the lessons were there. And more importantly, than perhaps even the physical side of things, the mental challenges enabled me to be a stronger, more prepared runner to fight when it came to race day challenges. So don't measure yourself on perfection and whether you nailed every workout perfectly, but rather measure yourself on what you learned. Did you do the work at all? And again, as I've already alluded to, we'll cover again, what does that overall body of work look like? Because no one workout matters in the grand scheme of things. What matters is how it all fits together. So Des and I can both agree. It's not about perfection. It's about getting it in and taking your lessons to the next workout and then certainly to race day. So don't expect perfection. It's a standard that's too high. And again, as I said, as a coach, it's a standard that doesn't allow you to have that richness in your training that's ultimately going to get you most prepared. Okay, that's number three. Don't look for perfection. Ask yourself, what did you learn? Number four, we often get tied up and caught up in asking ourselves, what do the metrics say? What do the algorithms say? What does the data tell me? Versus asking ourselves, how do I feel? How do I feel? And this is specifically in reference to the concept of recovery and our trajectory throughout a cycle. Also a reference to the growing, growing number of wearables that are giving us data on our recovery and how we're doing. And believe me, I'm a data guy. I'm an analytical person. You may have alluded that from listening to my podcast. I have the GPS watch. I've worn the aura ring. I like data but data has its limitations. And above all else, you know, data is a tool, it's a reference point, and it's how you use it that matters. It's not the end all and be all. Above all else, the main thing that matters is how do I feel? How do I feel today? Let that be your ultimate trump card, the ultimate overarching point that matters more than what your wearable is telling you or what the algorithm on that wearable is telling you, because ultimately you and your body know, as well as anybody, how you're doing, how you feel. And as long as you're generally feeling good and strong, and look, you're going to be tired. I mean, the work is hard. Marathon training is hard. Nobody is going to deny that. But in the context of that tiredness, you need to feel good enough, and have the ability to sustain the work. 
And so that means making adjustments based on how you feel and not necessarily being a slave to what your wearable is telling you. Ask yourself, how do I feel today? What does that mean? How should I adjust my training based on how I feel? with my body telling me? And this goes back a little bit to what I'm talking about by going easy enough on your easy days. One thing that might be maddening for athletes of mine is one thing I like to say for recovery runs is that you should let your body dictate the pace. You should let your body dictate the pace because your body's going to tell you what you need on a given day based on how hard you worked the day before on your workout or your long run. And so you should let it tell you. And if you're doing it right, some days it's much slower than others. Some days it's, it's super, 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 super easy. Glacially slow, I like to say. Other days might be a little faster depending on how you're going. But again, all still easy and comfortable and at recovery effort. But you got to listen to your body, listen to how it's feeling. You also got to ask yourself, how do I feel when I'm making decisions about my training? I was talking to an athlete today who's feeling under the weather. Seems to have, you know, at least bad allergies, maybe a sinus infection coming on. And he was asking about his long run tomorrow. And my response was, trust your instincts based on how you feel. Make those adjustments. Don't do the full work because you know you're already feeling a little bit down and under the weather. Try to get something in if you're feeling up for it. If you have a fever, don't run at all. But beyond that, you kind of have to listen to your body, trust your instincts. So if you can, get something in. If you don't feel like it, that's okay. Keep that bar high for getting a run in at all. Sleep in if needed and live to fight another day after that. Some days you're going to have those days and you're going to need to slow down. You're going to need to skip. You're going to need to adjust. You're going to need to invest more perhaps in getting a nap, fueling better, whatever it may be. Listen to your body. Let it dictate these things. We often turn off how we feel and listen instead to wearables. We often turn off our intuition in terms of what our body is trying to tell us. And believe me, it's hard to develop the skill to listen. But if you do, if you're patient and if you actually let your body tell you things, and learn every time you make a decision based on what it's telling you, then you'll develop that skill set too. But it starts by changing the mentality, by instead of being focused on what your watch is telling you, actually listen to how you feel. And this extends, by the way, into workouts too, when it comes to feeling out effort and pace. Don't listen to your watch. Don't be a slave to your wearable. Listen to how you feel. Ultimately, your body will tell you and your ability to develop that skill in listening to your body, both in workouts and finding pace, but also in how to make adjustments in recovery. The more you can listen to that intuition, the better, stronger, more sustainable your training will be. So listen to how you feel versus being caught up in what your metrics and wearables are telling you. All right, that's number four. We'll get to number five in just a second. Wanted to quickly thank my sponsor, Athletic Greens. I've been working with them now for a couple of months. I've told you about my journey in taking supplements, but I struggled late last year with zinc, selenium, and copper 
efficiency after Boston and was trying to get caught up on that. It led me ultimately to taking a multivitamin. And now I'm actually taking Athletic Greens in lieu of a multivitamin. multivitamin. It has all of those vitamins and minerals you might get from a multivitamin, but it has so much more than that. And that's one thing that I really appreciate and like. It's got the probiotics, the prebiotics, it's got adaptogens, it's got a superfood complex to help me make sure I'm getting all the things I need to fuel my performance. And so I take it every day, sets my routine. Typically I'll take it after my workout, before my breakfast as a way to start my day and to feel good and strong starting my day. And so far in a couple of months taking it, I feel great, really enjoy it. It's easy. Again, it sets my day, sets my routine, take it in the morning in drink form, tastes great. I mean, it's kind of a neutral tropical type flavor and it goes down pretty easy, pretty quick. And then I'm off. And so it's exactly what I have needed to fill that need in my life of having that multivitamin, but getting more from my multivitamin source. So I want to thank Athletic Greens for that. Just like I've talked about before, it's cheap in the grand scheme of things. It costs less than a cup of coffee, less than $3 a day. It's got high quality ingredients that your body can actually absorb. And I don't think I've talked about this, but it is lifestyle friendly, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. It fits into all of those categories as well. So it's friendly to any dietary needs or standards out there. And you can take advantage of it now. So to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash running rogue. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash running rogue to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. So go check it out. And thanks again to Athletic Greens for the partnership. Okay, let's jump back into my list here. We're going to get to number five. And this one kind of gets to the mental health side of the equation in training. But and I think sometimes we get in this mentality that it, it has to be all about suffering and putting our head down and gritting and gritting and bearing it. And certainly there are moments when you're going to be working hard, you're going to be suffering in workouts. But to me, doing the hard work is also fun. And so I want you also to reframe this thought process around that side of it and, and shift from, am I suffering enough being the question we ask ourselves to rather, am I having fun? Am I enjoying myself? Am I enjoying the journey? Because long-term sustainability in this sport, and I'm not talking about over the course of one training cycle or two, I'm talking about over the course of years and, and decades is really Am I having fun? Am I enjoying the journey? Is the journey beating itself? Do I enjoy it ultimately? And yes, you're going to work hard. You're going to have days that aren't fun. You're going to suffer in workouts, in, in moments. Yes, but the overarching story should be, I enjoy it. I love the process. I enjoy the journey. And am I having fun along the way? There are certainly ways to do that, I think, better than others. But you need to calibrate it when you're not having fun. You need to recalibrate. You need to find ways to be having fun again. Because if you're not enjoying it, then it's not going to be sustainable. And again, I'm not saying here that you should always want to go out and do your run and workout. That's not going to be what I'm 
That's not what I'm talking about. And that's not going to be possible. We're not always going to want to get out there. Sometimes you got to get out there and then you enjoy it. Sometimes you got to let action lead you in motivation. But what I'm talking about here is the overarching picture. Are you enjoying the journey? When you look at the body of the work that you're doing, is it fun? Do you like it? And so my push would be whenever that becomes, the answer becomes no, then we've got to recalibrate, got to recalibrate and find ways to make it fun again, which might look different depending on the person. One way is to reassess why you're doing it and whether or not the current version of your journey fits that purpose. I think sometimes we get into a place where our pursuit, our short-term pursuit is mismatched with our reasons for doing it. It's mismatched with our purpose. And so we're kind of going through the motions versus really being truly fueled by the pursuit and having the spark that becomes self-sustaining. So sometimes you need to check that. Sometimes you need to recalibrate. You need to change the goal so that it better matches your purpose instead of going through the motions. Maybe you're doing it because someone else said you should do X, Y, and Z, and that's not really something you want. Sometimes we have to recalibrate that. Sometimes we have to mix it up. Sometimes it's about shifting it up to get variety, jumping on the trail, doing triathlon, shifting up the distance, changing training in some way, mixing up your runs. Sometimes we need the variety in order to keep it fun. Sometimes it's about finding the right crew to roll with. Sometimes it's about that person who can run next to you on those long runs and hold you accountable that you can share deep thoughts with and get to know at a deeper level because you're sharing many miles on the road together. Sometimes it's about that, that connectivity. Sometimes it's about finding the right coach that can lead you and and maybe find that spark in you and point you in the right direction so that it is fun. It's not always going to be fun. That's not what I'm talking about. But if you find yourself in a place where you're just not enjoying the pursuit, then we have a problem. You need to recalibrate. But that's going to be the more important question than is, am I suffering enough? And look, if it's overarching fun, if you're, if you're training in a way that's connected to your purpose, if your goals are connected to your purpose, if you're connected to the work because you enjoy the process, you enjoy who you're doing it with, then even the tough moments, the hard workouts are going to be fun. Because believe me, the groups that I coach, some of the biggest smiles are those days when we get the hardest workouts done. Because then you end up with that feeling of accomplishment, especially in the context of doing it with people and doing it together. That man fuels the fire like nothing else. So ultimately, I want you to ask yourself, are you having fun? That's a more important metric here than are you suffering enough? Number six, we often get tied up looking at absolute results. We often get tied up in looking at absolute results. What I run in this race versus what I run in that race. How does this time compare to my personal best on this day? We get tied up in that, and I get it. It's a measurement, probably our most most critical form of measurement in the sport is race results. And I'm not telling you not to worry about race results or not to use that as a benchmark, but over these next two points, I'm going to try to put it in context. 
to how we can use those in a healthy way versus in a destructive way. When we're looking purely at absolute results, then we lose context. Then we lose context to what really matters in the grand scheme of things. And that's less about absolute results and actually more about absolute effort and execution. If we look at a race result, one single race result, and let's say that race result is slower than we wanted or slower than our personal best. And if we measure that simply based on the comparison between the two, then we're completely missing the point. Then we're completely missing the point. Because one result may have come on a perfect day. The other one may have come on the worst possible day. And it's entirely possible that this, quote, slower time is actually a more impressive result in context. Context of the weather or maybe the challenge of a hilly course or whatever it may be that can make races different. So the question more is, did I give everything on the day? Did I execute to to the best of my ability? That's how things are, should be measured. And we become, we are, we are way too fixated, way too fixated on the absolute results absent of context of effort and execution. Because I would submit that if you can give everything on a given day, then you should be proud of that result regardless of the exact time on the clock, regardless of the absolute time on the clock. And I, I can tell you that some of the races I'm most proud of, believe me, I'm proud of my personal best too, for sure. But some of the races I'm most proud of were the ones where it wasn't a perfect day or I didn't quite get the time that I wanted, but I fought like hell doing it. I stayed in it. It was hard, but I still stayed in it and fought all the way to the end and got, based on my perception now looking back, I got everything I could on that day. And and that's inclusive of what would be my personal worst marathon time, which came in Boston in 2016, when I actually had to walk the last five miles of the race because of an injury to my left heel that I would later learn after the race was a stress fracture. Had to walk the last five miles, the slowest five miles I've ever run in a marathon, a personal worst for the distance on that day. And I think back on that race with absolute pride and actually only positive vibes. It's hard in the moment. Believe me, I felt all the feels, all the emotions in the absolute, in the actual moment. But now I think back with, I think back with such fondness because I gave everything I could on that day. And for me at that time, in those final five miles, the best I could give was walking. That was the best. That was all I had. And I gave it. And the time is what it is. It doesn't matter at this stage. But the only thing that matters is that I gave everything I had to that race, to that course, to Boston on that day. And I'm extremely proud of it. I'm extremely proud of finishing. I'm extremely proud of how I managed the challenge of those five miles. And I learned so much from that experience that I carry with me that the impact of that race is actually in in my head is actually immeasurable. And yet, again, my personal worst time. I've had other marathons, including one in in Detroit area, the Martian Marathon in 20, I believe that was 2015, 
that ended up being in the 70s at the end, one of the hotter marathons I've ever finished. Finished about two minutes off my PR that day. Wanted to PR, was ready to PR, but didn't PR because it ended up being too hot. And yet I was still only two minutes off, fought like hell, pushed the end. Remember just absolutely suffering at the end to get everything that I could. And to this day, I think that may be my, actually maybe my, the, my best marathon result, period, if you put it in the context of the weather of that day. And I think about it now very fondly, very proudly, even though it wasn't my fastest marathon. So the point is that absolute results in the end don't matter absent context. Context matters. What effort you gave, how you executed, that's ultimately the the, the thing that matters. And you can be proud of a race no matter the time relative to what you had hoped, no matter the time, if you gave everything you could. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you gave everything for every single second or moment, because look, that's not possible. We're all going to have those doubts or those moments where we might lull for a split second when we lose focus in a race. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is if the overarching view of that race is, look, I gave everything I could. I fought through those doubts. I fought through those moments where I wanted to back off. I wanted to quit. And yet I finished with everything I had anyway. That's the hallmark of a beautiful race, of a race that you should be proud of. And that can happen independent of the time on the clock. And it's so important to keep that in context. Think about Chicago Marathon last year, a year ago. What a difference a year makes. This year, perfect, almost picture-perfect weather. Last year, worst possible weather in history of that race. Hot, humid, windy. You couldn't script worse weather for Chicago if you were just trying to be mean. And a lot of people struggled as a result. And a lot of people then defined their result, the training they did to get to that result, their personal identity, their value in the sport based on a result that was measured in absolutes on a terrible day versus on the simple question of, did I get everything I could? Regardless of the time, did I give everything I could? Did I execute to the best of my ability? If so, I can be proud of that and I'll live to fight another day. So stop worrying so much about absolute results. Think about absolute effort and execution And all results should be thought about in context of what you faced and how you faced those conditions. That's number six. Number seven is stop thinking about one result. I want you to think about a body of work. It's not about data points. It's about the trend line. It's not about the trees. It's about the forest. So often we get so focused on the individual data points that we lose the context of our trend lines. And look, in this game, in this journey, progress is not linear and upward. We want it to be. I wish it was as a coach. It'd be way easier. But it's just not. It's not the way it works. You're going to have good days and bad days. You're going to have good results and bad results. You're going to have good weather and bad weather that might cause those good and bad, quote, good and bad results. You're going to have ups and downs. You're going to have some days that don't go as planned for a million reasons. We can't control everything, and sometimes it just goes against us. And so instead of being so focused on one result or one bad workout or one training 
miss, we've got to look at the body of work. The forest matters more than the trees. The trend line matters more than the data, individual data points. Because ultimately, in this game of hours, your progress is not measured in what you can do in a day, a week, even a month. It's measured in what you can do over a period of years and how you trend over that period of years and ultimately even decades for those that are in it long enough. Like me, it's about trend lines, the body of work. And so stop being so focused on one result. And one thing I often see with people is that they will hang on to the bad ones, but they won't give themselves credit for the good ones. If you look in context, you might see eight good data points, and yet people will measure themselves on the one bad one and then somehow declare failure because of that one bad one versus looking at the overall body of the work in a season or across a year. And, you know, the the saying is you're only as good as your last race. I don't believe that. That's bullshit. It's all about the body of work and are you trending in the right direction and ultimately when you have those days that are less than what you wanted you're measured less in again the absolute time on that day but more in how do you respond how do you go back to work next and if you're thinking about your running and measuring success based on these parameters that I've talked about then ultimately the trend line is going to move up. You will have your day. You will get that time you wanted if you keep doing the work. But it requires shifting your mindset. You got to reframe. So I'll review it again. You got to reframe from thinking, how fast should I go or how fast did I go to thinking, how slow can I go? How on target can I be? How easy can I make it? You got to shift from thinking I have to nail 100% of every run to thinking about consistency 90 to 95% over time. You got to shift from wanting perfect workouts to asking yourself, did I get it done and what did I learn? You got to shift from looking at the metrics and becoming so obsessed with what they say to rather asking yourself, how do I feel? You got to shift from have I suffered enough to am I having fun doing it? You got to shift from measuring yourself by absolute results to measuring yourself by absolute effort and execution. And finally, stop looking at the data points. Look at your body of work. Look at that trend line. If you're doing all of those things, then believe me, your win, your win will come if you keep working. And if you keep working and you're having fun doing it, then why would you stop? So I implore you to take at least one thing that I just said, and shift your mindset around that thing because it could just make all the difference. Certainly will make the difference in your ability to sustain this work over the long haul and ultimately be a happy and healthy and reaching full potential type of runner for a very, very long time. And that is what I want for myself. That's what I want for all of you. So we'll wrap this episode here. Thanks for listening. As always, you can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.